Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Picking Podcast. It is August the 13th, 2023, at 5.23 p.m. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I am joined by none other than the Baron of Bonds, the Bear of Bears, Brandon Beat the Market Beaver. Brandon, what's up, man? Yeah, nothing much. I just... uh, um was a little late to recording this podcast i'd take a little nap because i had a headache and major issue there was that yesterday i decided to trim bushes and and uh got a little crazy with it cut down a few small trees and uh you know i still got that herniated disc up at c2 or wherever it is at the top base of my skull and it causes headaches and i guess i forgot that i'm old now and uh that i was still injured and so i woke up yet uh this morning you know, not feeling too well. So, but I'm I'm getting better. The nap helped and food has helped too. So nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good, man. Good. I'm glad that uh you're getting help you need. You you need a lot more. <laughs> you need a lot more. If if you're listening right now and uh you're you're wondering, you know, hey, this guy's been pretty good um uh, past past year on, on calling things. Um you know, go listen to weeks one and two and Brandon talks about bonds and <laughs> <laughs> Some great episode of why bonds are dead back they in the. They were. They I was were like, I still. I'm gonna bring that up forever. I don't care, man. They, it's they just were. It was forever. a terrible investment back then. If you if you put money into bonds at that point in time, you lost. You lost big. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, but anyways, that's why you're the bear in the bonds and the uh, bear of bears. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nice, nice. All right. Well, if you are joining us, we're happy to hear from you. Uh, please hit the subscribe button. Go ahead and hit follow. Go ahead and hit share. Do whatever you can do to spread the word. It's help us grow organically, and we appreciate it here at Chinchilla Picking Inc. Actually, it's LLC, not Inc. We're not incorporated. We're LLC'd. Um, but we appreciate it nonetheless. Rules, rules, rules. Brandon and I get together five to ten minutes before the show, and we tell each other what we're going to talk about. You actually see the live discussion here on the show. Uh, we actually got together about two minutes before the show started, and Brandon uh, rattled off a bunch of complicated things, and then I I, I gave him my two subjects. So uh, we we did a, a fair and equal contest, so Brandon gets to go first. Brandon, take it away, man. What do you got for us? Also, go back and and listen to the episode about market cycles because it was pretty spot on as far as where we were. Um, And uh, I think I am pretty spot on about where we're at right now, but I guess only time will find out. Um, Only time will will show us, you know. So the S&P 500, by the way, it's gained around 17% this year. And uh, pretty solid earnings season that we have right now, but still most of the gains have come uh, with the expansion of the price-to-earnings ratio rather than the price-to-earnings ratio staying, you know, flat and then earnings being the reason why the S&P 500 has uh, gone up. In other words, basically, the S&P 500 has overshot earnings. Go ahead, Dave. Now, hold up. We all knew. All right, so top-line numbers – did come in um weaker. They came in a 60% beat in top line numbers, right? That's the lowest we've seen since uh first second quarter of 2020. But the bottom line numbers came in and the total earnings per share, the net was at a 76% beat of all S&P earnings so far this quarter. So I would say that uh, the uh, companies have found ways to cut costs, all the layoffs, all the cut costs and measures. So they foresaw the earning the top line number, the revenue coming in lower and they were able to cut costs and still produce on the bottom line to me that's a sign of healthy companies healthy corporations doing what they need to do in tough times that's not a bearish sign so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy valuations though because on december 30th the s&p 500 earnings uh or price to earnings ratio was 16.8 now it's 19.2 um that's above the 10-year average of 17.67 Looks a little expensive so far. Now, and I, and I agree with you. And I agree. I hate to interrupt. I agree with you. And I agree with you. With the reason why and what's pushing this because I'm gonna I'm gonna hit on this later on. And one of my topics is one of the big pushers and drivers of this. Um, but yes, yes, um, I agree with you. And I don't agree with you at the same time. And I'm going to go into actual numbers and details later on. Okay. Just so you know. Just okay. so you're you're forewarned. Okay. I have numbers to back everything up. 
So this is this is from an article, by the way, from MSN Money. I'll, I'll post it in the uh, show notes. But uh, 19.2 times earnings is where we're at right now. A good way of trying to figure out whether or not you're getting a good earnings yield out of the market. Instead of using the P.E. ratio, you use an E.P. ratio. So earnings divided by the price of the stock, price per share. And then... Um, then what you can do is uh, use that and then kind of make it, you know, see see where you're at versus bonds and, and versus treasuries. Uh, so if you take 19.2 times the earnings, we've got an earnings yield of about 5.2%. This is below the 10-year average of 5.76%. So we're still looking expensive on that front. And the 10-year treasury yields now 4.089%. That's up from its 10-year average of 2.24%, so quite higher there. So if you're looking at the 10-year treasury and what people would usually call the risk-free rate because investors continue to see the treasury bonds as risk-free. So, you know, 4% earning or a 4% um, yield on the 10-year treasury risk-free versus what people would look at and say you're getting about 5.2% of the earnings yield of the S&P 500. A lot of investors are looking at this right now and saying that the 10-year treasury looks better than the S&P 500. Go ahead, Dave. Well, given that same logic, a Robinhood money market fund, just leaving your cash in there, looks better than the S&P 500. Well, not if it underperforms this year. So if you're looking at money market funds, the average uh, what what the average yield is is ten percent over time, but that's average. So that's not telling you what it's going to do over the next twelve months. Hey, Robinhood uh, saying they're gonna, you're going to get a return over four percent on your money just hit, leaving it in their cash. Okay. So <laughs> just saying, say if we're going to use the same logic, that I mean, right? So you're saying basically just just don't even invest it, just leave it in cash in a Robinhood account. That's possible. Yeah. So that's the other thing that people are doing instead of buying stocks, keeping it in a high yielding savings account or um, whatever. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. But, but it's still bearish for the stock market. That because you're still saying instead of buying the S&P 500 or instead of buying the treasury, just keep the money, you know, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that at all. Well, that's the logic you were just using, Dave. You, I'm repeating what you said, man. So when the equity risk premium is as low as it is now, the S&P 500 tends to underperform and fairly badly. And then, and when you're looking at the S&P 500 being overvalued right now, and you combine that with the comments that Mary Daly, president of the San Francisco Fed, said just a couple of days ago when they said they still have more work to do that you know points to more rate hikes then I think at least the outlook for the next six months, three to six months maybe, but probably six months, not so good for the S&P 500. And you, you're, we're even starting to see some major names in the market that are usually bullish go a little bearish. Back in May at the annual Berkshire Hathaway uh, meeting, Warren Buffett said that it's an end for the incredible period for the U.S. economy. And Berkshire Hathaway is not immune, and he said that the majority of our businesses will report lower earnings this year than they did last year. And Charlie Munger chimed in and said, get used to making less. Go ahead, Dave. So we reported on their comments back when it happened. Everybody agreed, even you and I agreed at the beginning of this year, we were going to see a downturn in the economy. I, however, flipped sides halfway through the year because I saw this isn't happening. I, I don't see it happening this year. And I, I turned into a bull. And I, I switched from bear to bull because I saw the signs. I saw the numbers. And the economy is moving along despite whatever we do to it. The economy keeps uh, keeps moving. And uh, I, I, I don't see I'm, – I'm wondering. I'm getting to the point where I'm even questioning whether or not student loans will affect the economy once they start that back up again. 
I, I get to the point where I start to question that. Um, it's just it's just amazing how resilient this this U.S. economy is right now. And I'm only talking about the U.S. economy, not the global economy. And you, we we reported on this back in the day. So I mean, is that still your stance, or are, are you uh, softening your uh, your your spot here? No, I'm still looking for at least a correction in the S and P 500 or 10% or more. And but every uh, year we get a correction. Every year we get at least one correction, maybe two. Well, it's just a normal profit taking cycle. Is a cycle of the business. It's just what happens. I mean, to, to call a correction is like saying, "Hey, at uh, some point today, we're going to hit noon." Well, yeah, well, it needs to happen, and I think that's going to happen soon. I think that that part of the cycle is coming up. Um, but I also think that you know, still seventy percent recession here. So, okay, all right, fair enough. I like that. Um. I disagree, but I like it. I like that. Yeah. You're like, hey. But I still think that pick out undervalued stocks that over the next, you know, 10 to 20 years are going to overperform everybody else. So, and Disney's one of them, by the way. So let's talk about their earnings. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is. Look, like they've got the holy trinity of negative market sentiment right now. They're they're politically hated. Um investors still don't like them all that well, you know, and, and they've had a tough time because now they're looking at, at Bob Iger and they're saying, you've been in your position for nine months and we haven't seen much of a change. Well, you've seen a lot of change at Disney. You haven't seen it affect the balance sheet the way that you like yet, but it's nine months. So let's stop being so short sighted. Okay. It takes a long time for these things to happen. Disney's $22.33 billion of revenue. 1.03 uh, earnings per share, a dollar and three cents earnings per share. This was close to the consensus on both, a little less on the revenue side, beating by 6% on the earnings side. So, so pretty flat with the consensus here, but parks and linear television units continued to really, really push the bottom line up. Um, $1.1 billion and $1.9 billion in quarterly operating profit, uh, respectively. In line with expectations here, Disney bled $512 million with its direct-to-consumer media business, uh, which included Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, and Hulu. Far below the projections, though, of a $758 million loss. Um, Disney's earnings release is uh, comes at a time where the stock's been pretty, you know, pretty, pretty hated, and it's down 20% over the past five years which underperforms the S&P 500, uh, which roughly had a 60% return over that same time frame. And Disney's also down 4% since Iger's return, while the S&P 500 is up 13% during the same period. But we still are looking at this turnaround. Go ahead, Dave. So, I mean, I mean, all right. So, yeah, these, these numbers are basically saying exactly what, what everybody knows is the parks are producing the cash of the mm -hmm. business right now and the streaming services are suffering, which is why they made, they announced, I, I hate to steal your glory. If you're going to get to this, all the changes in their streaming services coming up. I know I subscribe to Hulu live and, and they gave me the Hulu and Disney and ESPN plus bundle with that subscription to Hulu live. And I know I'm about to pay more dollars per month for, for my, my subscriptions. And it makes me question whether or not I need it. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, I, I I don't I there's too many questions. I'll let you get into the numbers that their changes they're going to make to the streaming because that's that's where they need to make the most changes. And I know that you and I have talked on the show before about how they, Disney is going to go ahead and buy out the rest of Hulu come next year when they they that contract says to. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's they're looking at that. That's a one time expense they're going to have to pull out. Are the parks going to continue? Here, my question is: Are the parks going to continue to be as profitable? If, like you said, that the student loan payments start and, and all of a sudden we had a recession, can the parks remain profitable and, and provide that cash flow for the streaming services? I mean, I think that over time, yes, which is why I'm in the stock and I, I, I like Bob Iger's opinion. Yeah, I, I, or I, like, I like his leadership. But I, if you're looking for a call over the next six to nine months or three to six months even, recession absolutely is going to happen. That will definitely hit the parks. But um, 
when I'm buying a company for the long term, Dave, I'm all in long term here. I'm looking 10 to 20 years out. And I think that Bob Iger's pushing it in the right direction to get us to the promised land here. Um, now, let's take a look at some negatives here. $1.1 billion in operating profit for its media and entertainment unit. Now, compare this uh, to, um, let's see, this was five years ago, $3 billion and uh, $4.2 billion um, about five years ago. So you can see a steady decrease in the linear television lineup here of revenue. <clears throat> Not a good sign for that. $1.5 billion uh, was announced in agreement with sports gambling operator Penn Entertainment. We just had an entire show on their position on DraftKings almost just a couple weeks ago. So this is interesting. Uh, they are going to launch an ESPN-specific sports book. And um, Iger announced this last month that the company is offloading its uh, and equity stake in ESPN. So we're going to see a partnership with ESPN uh, to try to make that more profitable. A direct-to-consumer ESPN product is in the works. Not a question of if, but when, Bob Iger said. Go ahead, Dave. No, finish your comment. Go ahead. So it's just interesting here to see now they're going to have their own sports book um, partnered with Penn Entertainment. We'll see how that pans out. Disney, as mentioned in that, previous episode um, very heavily against gambling in the past, but now it seems to be something that they see that could add to their bottom line. And now they're pro gambling, but go ahead, Dave. All right. So a couple comments on this a few months back on CNBC interview, because I still watch that channel. Uh, one of the Disney executives had mentioned that they uh, are going to get into partnership with a book. They don't want to own a book, but they want to be in a partnership because they understand that that profitability can have with their, uh, ESPN business. So we all knew this was coming. The partnership was either going to be DraftKings or Penn. That was the question. In order to make Penn work, Disney didn't want to have anything to do with Dave Portney. Dave Portney went ahead and sold. Uh, he bought back. He's the sole owner of Barstool Sports now. He bought it back for $1. $1. Oh, wow. um, in order to get uh, for Penn to remove Barstool Sports and Dave Portney from Penn Gaming so that they can make this deal with Disney. The only caveat to that is if Dave Portney were to sell Barstool again, he would have to give 50% of his proceeds to Penn Gaming. Um, because the first time he sold it, he sold it for like 500 or $700 million, somewhere around there. And so he only bought it back for a buck. So he made he made quite a bit of money off this deal. Uh, Dave Portney is the real winner here, I believe. But um, nonetheless, Penn Gaming then inked this deal with Disney so that uh, their ESPN channels can have Penn Gaming up on their uh as as an official book with ESPN uh, subsidiaries, so the whole I, I I've seen this issue coming. I just didn't know whether or not it was going to be DraftKings or Penn Gaming for a while. I was happy to see the announcement that it was going to be Penn Gaming because DraftKings has a lot of partnerships already, um, and we need some kind of uh, if you want to say uh, um, we 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 need some kind of balance out there in the system between these these books and uh, to make sure that they work. Right. Right. So why did Disney not want anything to do with the with the Barstool Sports guy? They didn't want anything to do with Barstool Sports or Dave Portney at all. They wanted uh, both 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 of those removed from Penn Gaming altogether. And so uh, I I think it was a sweetheart deal for Dave Portney, um, but uh, Penn Gaming is going to work out uh, make it work long term in the partnership with ESPN and, and so forth. I don't know the reasoning behind it. I, I know Disney's been reluctant to uh, go ahead and sign a, a book um, to ESPN for a while, even though they had the the perfect audience for it, um, especially on college football in, in, in the fall. But uh, this has just been hesitancy from Disney. And then finally, they decided to go ahead and make a deal, but they wanted to remove anybody that could uh, jeopardize that company in their yeah, minds. I wonder if it's just the name Barstool Sports. They, they just don't like the name. Maybe that could. Be. I mean, it could be that. It could be Dave Portney and himself, man. Who knows? Disney Plus subscribers ended the quarter at one hundred five point seven million. That's up one percent from a year ago, which is that. That's man. It's kind of flat, you know. But people were expecting a decline here, so um, you know, we're expecting a decline because they haven't released any any new media that has been a hit. 
in, yeah, a, in a while. The free version of of Disney Plus going ad supported, people just thought that that wasn't going to work. But uh, Iger announced that 3.3 million people have signed up for the ad supported uh, Disney Plus. So I mean, it seems to be working so far. Uh, subscribers were 154 million total, up from 153.1 million a year ago. Slightly below expectation consistence on total subscribers at 155 million. Hulu subscribers ended up 48.3 million, up less than 1% a year ago. Really just kind of points to the fact that streaming, I think, is becoming mature. And companies really need to, you know, catch up with that point. Because there's still a lot of companies that are into streaming that are in growth mode and are willing to lose hundreds of millions of dollars actually in this case with Disney even to try to grow their shares, uh, the market share and, and the market shares really not growing all that much. We so talked about this with Apple TV yeah. just a couple of shows back. Apple TV is not growing. So, so time to make it profitable. This is one of the reasons why I'm glad that uh, Bob Iger is, is shifting the focus here to parks um, and into uh, the motion pictures and, and to the, the you know just the specifically to um, their content that they already have out um, because streaming the way that they were doing it is just not working. Um, Disney also announced sharp increases for Disney Plus and Hulu. The ad free version of Disney Plus will increase twenty seven percent to thirteen ninety nine a month from ten ninety nine a month. That's relatively in line with other streaming services as far as the price goes. What I am concerned about is the price for Hulu without ads, uh, jumping twenty percent from seventeen ninety nine to fourteen uh, from fourteen ninety nine to seventeen ninety nine. I mean, and, and I'm also concerned about um, the premium Hulu with the live TV. I think that was going up from like eighty three dollars to ninety dollars. I think. People with, with the premium Hulu there at $83 were already feeling the pinch. So even if it is just a $7 increase in that price, I think it's going to cause some people to opt out. Um, I know. I've been uh, looking at different options. I mean, there's YouTube TV. There's other options of, of streaming live TV. The It's the lineup that uh hulu live has that really keeps me there if i if i were to switch to some of these other channels i don't get all the bloombergs i don't get all the cnbc's i don't get all the financials and then the sports because i am one of those college football fans i don't get all my college football channels if i switch from uh from hulu live to uh one of the others so they have the channel lineup that keeps us there unfortunately but yes i am looking around for a different uh different setup yeah you also wouldn't get the great Hulu original series, The Great, is what it's called. I don't know if you've seen that about Catherine the Great. Absolutely hilarious. Um, and then also Sane X, which was, I think, great uh, series as well. Controversial ending uh, with a lot of fans, but uh, I, th I still think it was an incredible series. But anyways, International Parks business revenue jumping 94%. Um, but... If you look at it, it's because Shanghai Disney was open for the full quarter compared to only $3 or three days uh, last year. And then Hong Kong Disneyland was open 72 days versus 54 days a year earlier. We actually talked about this when I first bought Disney. I don't even know how long ago it was. It was a while ago and I did an episode on it and I said, hey, look, Shanghai is going to be open next year. Uh, this is going to have a huge impact. And um, so will Hong Kong Disneyland. Unfortunately, I mean, it did have a huge impact, but we're not seeing it in the stock price, not yet at least. But Iger also saying on the call, as I mentioned uh, earlier, not matter, not a matter of if, but when ESPN will have a direct-to-consumer con option. I think that's going to be a, um, a pretty big deal in streaming, to be honest with you. I like that idea. Um, he also said that domestic sports ad revenue is up about 10%. Now, this is a big transformation, though, with Disney that takes time. So let's see going forward. Listen, the, the CEO said the company has considered strategic options for its linear TV channels. So we talked about this in the last episode about Disney with National Geographic, ABC, 
all the different linear channels that they own, including the equity stake that they're going to be selling in ESPN, that's all up for sale. So I think that's going to be a good uh, a good profit maker for them. Um, he said that the growth will be driven by films, parks, and streaming. This is going to take a long time for this turnaround. So to expect it to have already happened in nine months is just, it's ridiculous. And it's the short-sightedness of the market. They're also going to restore a modest dividend by the end of the year. So that, that was another, another thing that, um, you know, held the stock price up despite mis- what people are saying are mixed results. Go ahead, Dave. So they're going to sell uh, ABC and and all these 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 other channels, but then they're going to go ahead and turn that money and buying the rest of the Hulu stake. So it's a wash. Um, it may not be a wash. They actually may have a little bit of profit, but it's a one-time profit. How do they use that cash going forward is the question. Do they reinvest it in a good way or a bad way? And what 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 goes on with that? That's my my questions going forward. Um, Disney's got a lot of headwinds. Uh, they they have to push through them. Um, I know that uh, push comes to shove. I'll drop my Disney Plus and just keep my Hulu live, because um, I, I don't need I don't need Disney Plus. I don't even own Disney Plus. Yeah, so I don't need it. But yeah, lots of headwinds. But those headwinds are what create value. Would- I mean, you say there's going to be a recession, right? So <laughs> yeah, but that's still like you know, <laughs> are we still going to be in that recession ten years from now? No, no, we will not. I hope not. All right, cool. Despite saying that the S&P 500 is overvalued, I still own SPY. <laughs> nice. Because I, I still expect that we're going to reach an all-time high at some point you know, in the future. So I don't... Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Let's... Uh, tran- Always let's, betting on America. Let's, let's, let's transition here, man. Um, all right. Here's what I got, guys. I'm going to go in here a little bit on SoftBank. If you guys don't know who SoftBank is, it's a company out of Japan, and they uh, they own a number of other companies. Like it's a, it's a parent company that owns all these other companies, and they even have this fund that's called a Vision Fund, and it invests in innovative startups, uh, so on and so forth. Now, this has made headlines uh, today because SoftBank is uh, – this is this is complicated, right? So they're trying to uh, acquire. Uh, they own Arm Limited, Arm Ltd. Right? If you want to Google it afterwards, uh, but also Vision Fund, a, a, a separate entity, um, owns like a a stake in Arm Limited. So SoftBank wants to acquire that twenty five percent stake in Arm Limited that Vision Fund owns. So they want to buy it from Vision Fund itself. So. This is making the investors in Vision Fund very, very happy because they were worried about Arm Limited because the valuation on Arm Limited because, all right, so there's more background here. They're going to IPO later on, right, here very shortly. And the investors in Arm Limited were worried about the high valuation and losing their money once it IPO'd. They're very happy to go ahead and take the buyout from SoftBank, all right? SoftBank's going to come in. They're going to buy up this what uh, the twenty five percent stake in Arm that uh, Vision Fund has, and just buy it out completely and pay them. They're very happy with this, right? The the chip designer, so Arm, has a valuation of it's coming out next month for IPO sixty to seventy billion dollars, right? So this is a high valuation for the size of this company. The reason why this valuation is so high, Brandon, you ready? It's AI. AI. So uh, this rings rings a, a, a bell to me. Um, I don't know if anyone has has heard of a uh, uh, high valuations and buyout and cash deals. You know, like Virgin Galactic. I don't know if anybody knows anything about what happened to that company, and we covered it in detail here. Um, but this is another company that AI is sending its valuations and its price very very high. Right, so this is this is what SoftBank wants to do. Now, my problem with SoftBank trying to do this is, hey, SoftBank already owns seventy five percent of Arm. They could have just stayed at that price, but right now, what they're not what they're doing is they're not lowering their dollar cost average. They're in fact raising their dollar cost average because they bought that seventy five percent stake at a much lower price before the AI boom. Now they're going to be buying this last twenty five percent of it at a much higher price, expecting the, the for it to grow exponentially because it's related to AI. 
this is not a good move for SoftBank. Now, SoftBank and Masasoe-san has had some issues in most recent years that they've lost a lot of money. Some of them I will uh, that are notable that you will know the names of are WeWork, that WeWork scandal. Uh, if you watch the Hulu uh, special on it, you'll see Masasoe-san uh, on there in a documentary. He meets with the WeWork uh, owner. That was a big scandal. They lost money on that, and they lost money on DD, which I can't blame him because I almost lost money on DD, but I was able to DCA and get out of it very quickly. But SoftBank lost money on DD as well because DD was a uh, another one of these hey, this is going to make tons and tons of money because look at this. Um, now, the problem with Didi, though, that was a whole another political thing with the Chinese government and and a fight between Didi and the government, and it ended with Didi losing. Um, however, SoftBank is trying to make it a win here on ARM. My worry is that SoftBank is too late to the game on the AI rush and boom because the AI rush and boom is what's driving the S&P up. Um, and it's pushing everything higher and it's pushing the market higher. We talked about this on the show. The AI boom is pushing everything higher. Everybody expects to make X amount of money, X amount of money, X amount of money. I saw, I saw a, uh, and I'm going to go into more detail on this, a CNBC article that's talking about how Microsoft is just buying up tons of these chips from NVIDIA. Well, yeah, yeah. I, 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 on this show, I need to, we need to start numbering our shows. I can say on a show like 40 or show 45 or whatever it is. But on, on, and we will do this going forward guys and make it easier for you to find. But on one of our shows, I went in detail and broke down the numbers on the videos chips in detail. I said, this chip costs $10,000. And then when you add it into the package of a server package, it costs X amount of dollars. And then when you need so many server packages to run this, this is what Microsoft signed the contract for. Yes. I told you Microsoft signed a contract with NVIDIA for 8 to $10 billion this year in buying up chips. So we told you this was going to happen here on the show. We told you NVIDIA was a buy at that time. However, however, man, SoftBank is getting in this after everything's already ran up. I don't think they're going to see the return on their investment. You know, maybe they'll see a little bit of return on investment. I don't know if they're hoping to dump a little bit after it goes public next month. But I think this is a bad move by SoftBank. And it's going to be another one of these famous losses be uh, on investments. Brandon, thoughts? I just spat out a lot of information. Well, let's see where the stock market is in, in one month. And let's see if, you know, the uh, animal spirits are still there to drive up that, uh, that IPO when it goes and And then if it does, let's see where they, you know, where they sell at, if they do sell it, but this is a, a tale that is old as time where C- CEOs are trying to buy up overvalued companies, uh, for short-term greed and for short-term reasons. And I don't like it. It's one of the reasons why I love Warren Buffett so much because he has continuously done the exact opposite of that. And at times when people are super bullish and super bullish, you know, super, super bullish on the stock market, and he's sitting on $100 billion in cash or whatever he's sitting on, and people are yelling at him to buy and then saying, we need a new CEO, we need a new chairperson because he's not buying enough. And he winds up always being right to not do so. And then he buys when people are saying to sell, right? Which is what CEOs should be doing when they're looking at acquisitions and mergers. But a lot of them don't. A, a lot of the, a lot of them don't don't. Yes, and uh, you know this. I, I think what what is happening here is Masisio's son is trying to make up for some of these these losses. Uh, they've had a couple big ones recently. They've Alibaba has tanked since uh, they bought into that. Uh, T-Mobile has gone down since they that the whole merger initially jumped up. It has gone down recently. They've had three consecutive quarterly losses, and they're hoping that an IPO in the AI chip-making field, which ARM is a small player in, not a huge player. I'm skeptical at the most about whether or not it's actually going to make a, a profit here. Uh, it's actually going to be the boon that uh, SoftBank needs. It, it's just I, I I don't see it happening with ARM. I think Masasuo-san is late to the game. He's had great success in the past. Pass, pass. But in the recent past, he's had bad mistakes because he's a visionary. I like that he's a visionary. I like that he sees something when nothing's there. But the problem with being a visionary is that instead of buying a uh, small mom pop shop and believing in the future, 
he's buying major corporations and and he's like losing billions of dollars and hoping that he finds the one that makes him trillions. Is he a visionary or is he just following trends? Uh, he was a visionary when he started SoftBank. Yeah. And uh and uh, he's had he had great like I said he had great success when he kept going. Um he had some I mean he had minor success with sprints uh but uh it was kind of mixed. There was bad and good with Sprint. And lately, uh, the stock has gone down for T-Mobile, uh, which he has a percentage of because of the T-Mobile Sprint deal. Um, but, uh, you know, WeWork was a huge miss, a public, public miss. They did a documentary on WeWork, and uh, it was a huge miss for him. So lately, he's not been doing good, not been doing well at all. That was my first M&A play, and boy, was it rocky. <laughs> that's to say that's to say the least so let's yeah. transition from that since we're talking about ai into nvidia here right um so i want to you know i i talked to mention about how we broke down the numbers we broke down like hey you know microsoft is buying the video chips OA, open ai is buying the video chips yes we know we've talked about that months ago you're late to the game if you're just now printing an article about it chinchilla Pekin, chinchilla Pekin beat you to a punch all right Stop following us. Um, start catching up with us and get to where we're at here. All right. Get on so our level. I, right. I've been talking about how NVIDIA is overpriced. Um <laughs> this is an article, a CNBC article, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read some some statements from here. Um and, and it's just mind-boggling, right? Because if you compare NVIDIA here to uh say uh, another company that everybody believes is is overvalued which is uh tesla right um tesla is up 200 2000 uh 279 um um since uh uh you know they everybody was saying it was overvalued and it made elon musk the richest person has gone up right all then but uh nvidia has ballooned by over eleven thousand percent that same time um intel stocks only up 55 percent during that time um, now NVIDIA is, uh, oh man, I got to get these numbers down. I should have wrote these down because I'm doing a horrible job for a podcast here and trying to, uh, trying to get what this is here, but here we go. Um, NVIDIA in order to meet the actual growth projections and the forward, uh, PE ratio that they're expecting from NVIDIA, they need to quadruple their earnings over the next 12 months, quadruple their earnings in order to make it justified for the stock price that they're running at. It's it's a, a P ratio of 230. Uh, Tesla is running at a P ratio of uh, 65. So that's the comparison. When everybody gets on these shows and, and they say Tesla is overrated, Tesla is overrated, Tesla, Tesla has a P ratio of 65. NVIDIA is 230, and you're saying to buy NVIDIA. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what math you're looking at, but uh, I, I think that's ridiculous. Now, NVIDIA has come down. This past week, I believe they're now trading at uh, four ten. Was the last time I saw? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was somewhere around there from their four fifty high, which is uh, in, in a, a drop down. But they need to go below four hundred before I would even begin looking at them again, unless they actually start quadrupling the revenue. Which I again, I don't see that happening. They don't have the infrastructure yeah. in place to keep up with demand to produce that many chips. To produce that high of revenue, nobody now, does. Have... Go ahead. Nobody does. Yeah, no, it, nobody does, right? You know, I mean, they're here, and and <laughs> so they they have to work with partnerships of Taiwan Semiconductor, and everybody's uh, worried about Taiwan Semiconductor. Warren Buffett pulled his whole position out of Taiwan Semiconductor because of geopolitical events, and they have to partner with them in order to get these chips out, which makes me uh, doubt that you know. Uh, Taiwan's going to be uh, have any geopolitical problems because they're so tied in to the system that you can't hurt that, right? Um, here's some of the things: is uh, Nvidia has invested and, and or owns at least twelve startups in 2023 that they are uh, heavily invested in or and or they own themselves, right? So one of them are uh, Runway, which makes AI powered video editor Infection AI is uh, pretty much owned or ran by uh, NVIDIA, but it's a former DeepMind founder that started that one. CoreWeave, I got another one NVIDIA is heavily invested in or and or they own. 
So you hear all these new startups happening, and you're like, look at all these startups moving in in AI. Nvidia has got to be Nvidia has got to be profitable off this. Nvidia owns a big portion of these guys. They are creating all these AI companies. How many did I say it was? Was it 12 or I say? 12. 12 startups they created that are making headlines with these big uh, movements in corporations and corporate people moving over from other companies to these. But NVIDIA is a big buyer in them. You know, and they're not gonna they're not gonna overcharge themselves. So I mean, NVIDIA is creating this this wave and then profiting from it. I don't I don't I look, I don't say it's wrong. I just say, you know, look between the lines and see what's really going on. It's not wrong. It's right. They found a way to make profit. They created the hysteria of it, and they're pushing out the product. Their stock valuation is through the roof. You know, their CEO is now the 32nd richest person in the world at $33 billion valuation for himself. I mean, this is – I don't know. I can't go enough on this. All I'll say is remember Virgin Galactic. Remember that whole space race rush and what happened to Virgin Galactic, guys. Four billion valuation. Few years later, it was down to four hundred million valuation, and the company was being sold off for parts. I mean, this is. I, I'm not saying that that's going to happen to Nvidia. No, they have a strong business model. They're going to be around. They're not going to be selling for parts. But it, yeah, it, it, it will. It will happen to these smaller companies. So it happened to the twelve startups that they started this year. Yeah. Those are the ones that are going to disappear in in the next few years because there's just too many too many major companies moving forward with this. And I I, I want to say be careful. Be careful about investing in AI um, companies right now at the peak. Yes, a lot of them have come down the past couple of weeks, and you might be thinking as a new investor, hey, it's come back down. It's going to go back up, right? No, it can continue coming back down to reality. It can continue, and I just want everyone to be worried. That's why I'm so passionate about this. I want you to hear this through the podcast. Be careful. Don't buy in at Virgin Galactic at $4 billion valuation. No. No. It's okay. We There's lots of other companies out there to look at. Yeah, and it makes no sense anyways in a quantitative tightening environment to buy any company that's not making money. Exactly. You want companies that are that. I mean, Nvidia is making money. They are profitable, but man, whew, that's just they're just way overpriced. I I don't know. I I don't know. I, I, I don't see it going. Yeah, I mean, and that's why people justify it. But you can't justify the valuation. You can you say can. the company is incredible. The company's great. The CEO's a genius. All that stuff, and I agree with all that. But when the valuation's this high, it doesn't matter. You don't buy. Yeah, you wait for either the stock to come down or the stock plateau stays where we're at for a number of years and it actually meets valuation fairly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? that, that's what you wait for, you know? Uh, yeah, I sold out, it was at 380. So when I sold out whatever shares I had, uh, everybody's like, well, you could have made even more because it went up to 460. Yeah, I could have, but I, I saw what I saw um, and I it's got very, out. It's very hard to tell once a company becomes overvalued how overvalued it would become. So it is a good idea if you're going to take your profits and you're not going to hold for the next 10, 20 years or whatever. It's a good idea to sell when it's overvalued. And then whatever money, you just sell it and you move on. You don't look back at it because if it's going up higher than that, then oftentimes it's just a bunch of uh, greedy people or not maybe not greedy people, but people who aren't paying attention to the valuation, just buying into the FOMO, the, you know. Yep not wanting to miss out that's all it is and that has nothing to do with valuation at that point right and we got into nvidia because of softbank and all that but let me get in some quick little headlines get your thoughts real quick brandon first headline is chinese deflation is going to hit the u.s and when it hits the u.s that's a bigger problem to uh, for the u.s than the current fed rate and inflation right now in the united states thoughts that was a headline put out by cnbc it's going to make american products look more expensive in, in comparison it's deflation. How can they make it more expensive? Because the Chinese products are going to be less expensive here. So, oh, American more. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I, my mind wasn't keeping up with yours. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. American products will be more expensive China. And thus, when we're selling our products over there, it, we won't sell as many. But the three point the 3.2% CPI of, of last month, even though it came below expectations, it's still significantly higher than the 2% Fed. So it may actually wind up helping. It may. It may. We'll see. We will see. We will see. 
Um, oil companies still continue to be profitable, even though they are expecting a slower company. But airlines, the rush of Americans to fly overseas continues to grow. Airlines continue to raise prices. People continue to pack airlines right and left and go on vacation with their money instead of buying goods. Brandon, do you see this as as, uh, as something that is still comparable uh, and our price per gallon that we're going to see continue to rise because Americans are still using up this gas, even though even though the household debt has continued to have gone up, even though uh, our wages have not kept up with inflation the past few years, you know, do you still continue Americans to burn the gas the, the way we have been on travel? We're still in a post-COVID uh, travel boom right now. S- similar things are happening right now with the airline industry. They're saying they can't sell enough first-class tickets for the American Airlines right now because people are just buying them up left and right. Uh, that's a short-term thing that'll come back down. So will the demand for gas, I think. Really? So you you really think it's a it's short-term? Yeah. Hmm. Now, Saudi Arabia disagrees with you, but yeah. Let me add this in. Let me add this in. Uh, they just uh, came up with the top 10 airports in uh, in America. And the airport that is the most underrated airport, in my opinion, right here in Cincinnati, made number five, CVG. Really? Best airport in America, yep. Gotcha. All right. U.S. Steel was looking for money. Because they're trying to sell the company. They're trying to sell U.S. Steel, looking for buyers. They had a lot of private acquisitions, Brandon. However, Reuters Wire, 4.05 p.m. today, just two hours and 20 minutes ago, Eastern Standard Time, Cleveland Cliffs made a public offer to U.S. Steel uh, to to merge the companies in Cleveland Cliffs to be the uh, the the I guess the the head after the merger. I don't know. What do you, what do you call it there? Um, but uh, it's it's looking in there too. Uh, share value seventeen fifty, and one shares Cleveland stock. So it's going to be a hundred percent of U.S. Steel stock for a per share value of seventeen dollars and fifty cents. Do you think this is good for the steel market, or do you see it as a signs of weakening and consolidation? Uh, it's probably a good thing over the long term. What's the? I wonder what the price of U.S. Steel is right now. I do not know. I just wanted to hit you with some headlines. <laughs> <laughs> Have we done an episode on U.S. Steel yet? A lot of not, no, not in a while. And I haven't even, I haven't even looked at U.S. Steel in pretty a long time. Okay, a long time. I tell you what, this week there is an oil company IPO that I've never heard of, and I will be doing some investigation on this Elephant Oil Corp. We're gonna take a look at this and. See uh, see how this works, man. See what goes on with that. And hopefully I'll, on the next week's show, I'll have some information on Elephant Oil Corp. There you go. That's the headlines I wanted to hit you with, Brandon. Brandon, final thoughts. Those Cleveland Cliffs, you know, if, if they don't perform well with the assets of U.S. Steel, they may sit on um, quite a bit of market share for a while. But if they're not doing what people want, and if they're not meeting the uh, demands of their consumers, then somebody will also jump up and, and take that market share right back. So, I mean, I'm, U.S. still has to accept their offer, too. They just made the offer public today. Okay. So we'll see. Final thoughts, Brandon. Go ahead. I, I'm still 70% bear, 30% bull. A lot of people listening to this might be frustrated with my um, inability or uh, my um, – uh, reluctance to uh, to call out when this is going to happen, but that's impossible. I can call out why it's going to happen, and I might be, you know, it might be a year from now, it might be three months from now, it might be next quarter, two quarters from now, right? But the what is what matters the most, and if you could see where you're at in the market cycle, the greed. And the bullishness of the economy and the people that are in it can take it pretty far sometimes and stretch it out pretty long. And it's really hard to tell when that's going to end. But you can just tell why it's going to end. And and you can see the symptoms of it. And you can call it out. 
And, and, you know, this is why I'm not buying puts on spy because I, the timeline, I don't know. I don't know what the timeline is. Nobody does. Highest paid experts in the field of economics and in, in finance cannot tell you when it's going to happen. We could just tell you that it will. And everybody knows that, you know, everybody knows that a recession will come at some point, but you know, you can see the symptoms of it and you can see the effects before it happens. And, and I think, I think it'll probably be within a year. I might be wrong. Gotcha. So my final thought is it's a bull market, man. Um, I think we just have a short uh, dip right now, uh, but be selective. Don't dip into uh, NVIDIA is what I'm saying. Like be selective, do your research, find the ones. I'm not going to make a call. I've gotten a lot wrong recently. Um, yeah. And so I'm just, I'm going to keep my mouth shut this week uh, and admit I've gotten some wrong. I'm on, on a bad streak here um, and kind of see if I could turn the ship around by taking more time and being selective with my research and selective with my stocks I pick. Um, I on, I have a different view than Brandon. I do not believe, uh, yeah, eventually we're going to hit a recession at some point. I, I don't believe in calling it out when I don't have a close enough timeline of it. I That's where him and I disagree. Um, I believe, you know, hey, if I'm going to call a recession, I expect one to happen within six months. Um, and, th and then that's our difference there. But Brandon, I know you want to say something. Go ahead. And here's the point. You can be patient about it. If your timeline's even a year or two out and you're sitting on cash when it happens and you deploy that cash at the right time. And it doesn't even have to be the exact time. It could be like one or two months after the recession starts. Look at all the people that buy bought stocks back in 2010. And if you held them, you're great, right? So that kind of patience can pay off. That's it, it can pay off, yes. And I remember 2008, the V, the, the dip in the market, and just V'd right back up. And it was a harsh, and a lot of people made a lot of money. I made a lot of money. Um, it was it was a great time to be buying stocks when everything was was falling down like a off a cliff. So I, I have one more final thought. Uh Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett sold out of all of their RH shares about three months ago, Dave. I held on to mine and I'm up 15% now. Does that mean I'm smarter than Warren Buffett? All right. Well, on that note, guys. Uh, <laughs> no answer's fine. <laughs> as always, we hope we've been entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Guys, have a good night. Have a good night. <laughs>